So, uh, hello and welcome. This is part two of the conversation with uh, Mark Kilgore and Hiro Connor from the uh, University of Waikato. Hopefully you enjoyed part one and we continue the conversation here. So, Mark, you researched a lot in different markets. The States, Australia, New Zealand. Yep. Well, we've, this is... What our research is tied in with a bigger research set, which is uh, initially started by um, Sheila Sasser and Scott Coslow. And this is the Adcrust data, where Sheila, um, she was an ex-creative director. She worked extensively throughout North America. She became an academic, but she was one of those academics who was teaching a lot of the new... That's a real fall from grace, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we won't debate that for too long. Um, and she went on to teach a whole lot of these um, mm. agency people, um, and she had really good connections throughout Europe as well as North America. Uh, so she was getting a lot of data uh, from agencies, um, and not just North America, obviously within Australasia. Uh, where are the other data sets? Uh, Holland, France, mm. other countries. So we've got a, a really big, rich set of data from that sort of Anglo-Saxon uh, area. Mm. Uh, and Scott Scott Coslow is the other professor involved. Um, he'd been a copy tester, and it, it came out that that generally creators in, in different markets were it would worked in a similar way. There's clearly in a, a, yeah. Uh, yeah, an Anglo-Saxon model that we're starting to see, uh, which is is uh, we haven't yet looked at sort of some of the data from Africa or, or yeah. uh, Pakistan to see if it's spread into those areas. As yeah. yet. It's certainly a, a model. It's quite consistent um, between Europe, the US, and Australia and New Zealand. And, you know, and Australia and New Zealand uh, is not a bad place for anyone who would like to take up research offers um, yeah, to, that, that, to that, then that, explore uh, further afield with. Yeah, yeah, are you looking for new people? To, yes. <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, Japan is interesting. I listened to a podcast. Um, I spent some time up there with Vince. I listened to a, a podcast, um, Peter Leverton. Actually, the um, ex-admin uh, about how the Japanese market is diff- so different from every every other market in the world. You know, on on the face of it, you go you go to Tokyo, it look it look looks quite Western. You know, big mm. big high rise buildings, lots of lots of neon and smart dressed consumers consumers humans mm. people wandering around. But scratch the surface, and it, it's utterly. Um, Utterly different, and the way to, to reach people in the Japanese market, and all most of the um, big network agencies have failed in Japan because they've they've in- introduced the same kind of structures that, that they had in um, Anglo-Saxon markets, and just doesn't just doesn't work. Consumer thinks and thinks in a different way. Yeah, this may well be. It's an area where I said we haven't done any real research, but. Um there's probably, I think, one of the things in advertising, uh, it's just like a media. We use different media, we have different expectations in different markets, which then changes the entire process. Um, but unfortunately, something I can't really comment on. Yeah, you only need to spend a little bit of time watching Japanese game show television to yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. see that it's quite a different perspective. You you mentioned that uh, in that uh, pitches pro bono work and pay for performance all serve to lift the quality of creative work. Um, and my question for that is, 
it sounds like uh, pitch work, from my experience, is not done to be the best work, which is which is which is really sad. And I think for people in agencies, this won't be too much of a surprise, but maybe for clients it might be. It's not done to be great work. It's it's been formulated. It's formulated to win the pitch. Nothing more. It's 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 for that purpose. Do you do you spend a lot of time um, with the client uh, in getting those briefs? You should do. Should do. Yes. You should do, but often you don't. Pitch process is a is a very dark area. I mean, it. I, I I've I've worked on pitches where the client said, right, okay, there's there's four agencies working on this, and like there should really never be more than three, but. Uh, there's four agencies working on this, and uh, we uh, we don't think that um, it's right that we interact with you during the pitch. So uh, we will um, so to keep things c- completely even, we'll keep right right out of it, and you just come back on 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 this date and present. Which it doesn't happen all the time, but that has happened, which to me is complete nonsense because that's not how you work, and the idea is that that the agency gets to understand you uh, as a client and the way you work and the, that that's as, as much a part of it as just coming up with here are some ads uh, here's a campaign um why don't why don't you buy this um and yeah as i say the the work that you do the campaign that you create is one that the um senior leadership team at the agency through their knowledge, think that when presented, the client will go, oh, yes, we like that, rather than, oh, yeah, that will do a, the agency believes will do a fantastic job to sell the products. And that's Again, best, sad. Best pitches versus worst pitches it often comes down to sort of the level of consciousness of the client in what uh, they need from an advertising agency as well. You know, if you step in and the client needs to legitimise any of your decisions to up higher ups, so they have somebody to externalise and blame if they yeah. need to for that expenditure going wrong when it fails, then you're putting all of this agency pressures transferring from the from the client to the agency. You're left in the dark and you're trying to produce something um, to, again to sell into that client as opposed to produce advertising that goes out. To a consumer to hit the target, because you can you can feel that tension coming through. Get closer to the when the two get closer together, they can start to work through and and lift it and relax the tensions. Yes, uh, and, and obviously the same in the pitch work as anywhere else. So um, when clients start to resort through to these more extrinsic motivational factors and put pressure on the agency, then then they're starting to cloud the judgment of the agency in that way. You can still get very good work by paying for the performance of the ads out of it. It's just that that closer collaborative work where ideas can be explored and, okay, that doesn't work, we'll park that one, we'll test these ones, or that might not suit the situation. That just works better. Yeah, and right. and for, for an agency, like for me, uh, in, in work that I've got, if I've gone and put this great cognitive and emotional effort in finding an insight and finding a way to get that message through, believing in that and putting the sell into you, to then find out that there's a little piece of uh, information about a sacred cow or a political process yeah. that you could have told me in that early stage yes. that would have changed the path and direction that I would have gone in. That's, that's infuriating. 
the number of times, or that it's happened at all, where you've been you've been working on a pitch and a, and a client has said, "Oh, by the way, do not uh, ever." Um, one thing that we really don't like is cats. Okay, we don't, and so we don't want to see we don't want to see a cat. And you okay? So you go back to your teams. You go, no cats. Cut all cut all the cat ads. And you go to the pitch, and you and you lose the pitch. And it's like, well, that's terrible. I don't know. We did some brilliant stuff, and the client side comes up on it, and it's got cats in it. It's half the internet. And uh, you, and um, yeah. Well, well, the situation you described sounded like the worst of all worlds. I mean, the client doesn't tell you what they want. Uh, the people within the agency, the, the higher-ups, um, are making assumptions about what they want without actually knowing, and the creatives then left wondering if the client is actually going to take the highly creative it's stuff to start with. Your, your blinkers are gone. Yeah. You've now got a much bigger problem than you originally had, which was to um, create a communication to a particular group of people. You've got, hang on, I've got to manage that person, this person, this person. That's a lot. Well, it, it turns into a Rubik Rubik's cube. Yes. It can that there are so many, and with the crate, it's got to be this, got to be this, got to be that, got to be that, got to be that, and you you can't actually do it, and you just end, end up with a. Well, it's, it's no, you know, no longer coherent. And um, I always, what I try to do with uh, the teaching that we do at the university as well is ideally through the marketing program, I'm looking to make better clients. Because creatives, in my view, are going to just emerge on their own. They're um, quite functionally independent in terms of the way their brains are uh, you know, narrow. They like to focus on work that they do. So if we can get better clients who can then interact with these more unusual people, yeah. then we are going to produce better products, better understanding of consumers, of markets as a whole, because we can work together. Uh, so... A creative person is really quite complex, whether it's from some sort of deficiency they had quite early in life, where they've had to come up with all of these complex rules that they use in different situations. And you're asking them to then bring together multiple personalities and try and gel that together when they just don't sit together. Um, and, and Greys aren't good with personalities because most of them are, are highly introvert and, and mm. want to keep to themselves but I guess the skill set for a creative is really well defined in, in the in that you need to make the, these uh, cognitive leaps and, and, and put them together so that's right this, this is what they do the, the difficulty for a client so you know poor, poor clients is that they have to interpret them interpret them but that is probably one tenth of their job They've they've got ninety percent of it is it is spent on other things and they are chosen chosen for their their aptitude and promoted for their their their, their, their um, great ability as a client for a whole bunch of things of of which judging and buying creative is only actually a small proportion of their job which makes it makes it really really hard for them to be expert at that when they have so many other things to do. Yeah, but they they seem to assume expertise as well. Um, and oh, well, so, you're a senior client, so therefore you, yep. yeah. I mean, it's, I look at it again, if I go back to um, the similar process we have in academia, if I submit an article, I know that's going to go to a group of three reviewers who are experts in the field, um, and, uh, and who will evaluate this. But I know they're going to have to find something wrong with it. Yeah. 
They've got to have, so you need to throw some straw men in there. Yeah. And I get into trouble when I say this to co-authors. Yeah. And I'll probably get into trouble if, when this goes out. Because um, they, they've got to find something wrong with it. Mark Kilgore at university. <laughs> Indeed, exactly. Um, and it's, it's, it's the really good ones. This is where the creative director is so powerful. The really good ones don't need to find it. Yeah. It's those mediocre ones. That's me. I'm brilliant at finding things wrong with things. <laughs> can't help it. But I, I have to test ideas to destruction. Yeah, uh, and, then, and you end up with nothing. And stuff. Yeah, but the good ones will see the idea for that unique connection uh, that it is. The bad ones will look at the they'll look at the test. They'll look at the the detail around the methodology. They'll they'll yeah, get the phone number is only up for two seconds. Exactly. I reject um, the campaign. Yeah. So really, that um, it very much depends upon that evaluator, that client. Um, and can we actually train them up? As you said, as Hugh says, how do we train up the students to be good evaluators, but also how does the creative director train up? And, and uh, equally, so you, you increase your service level. Okay, we'll put some training into this client and bring them on the journey. But then suddenly that cost is transferred to the agency in mm. terms of how to do it. Is the client then uh, at a level of consciousness that say, actually... I'm missing something here that I'd like to learn and get over, and I'm willing to pay for that aspect of it. Or am I just coming in, make me an ad? Yeah. I need an ad, and I've got to show it to my boss. The different, uh, quite different. It is inter- interesting that the bigger clients, the P's and G's, the, the, the Colgate's, the McDonald's, will have internal learning on buying creative. The smaller ones won't. Um, generally, and yet sometimes it, it's the smaller ones because that that training itself puts strictures in. It must be X, Y, Z, and they get their own Rubik's Cube of being able to judge it, whereas a, a, a smaller a client with a degree of instinctiveness about them will go, yeah, I like that, let's do that. Mm. Yeah, and the sophisticated client, as we've found, restricts the originality in the outputs. Yes. Because they think they know. Yes. Um, but they don't have that ability to jump across domain. Yeah, um, and so then they criteria it to death, uh, which is really unfortunate. We only, as academics, try and reflect what's happening in industry. Um, so it's we have to learn from what you guys are doing. Yeah, uh, and certainly, again, having worked with you in the past, there's a lot of learning I'm still doing from even looking at some of that stuff in the past. I I I try really hard not to make this a beat up. On, on clients because I know what a yep. what a hard job it is. So they are creative directors. Without the t- 20 years of advertising experience to become creative directors, and it's it's a really hard job yes. with a lot of a huge amount of responsibility because the, the creatives make a, a creative agency will make maybe I don't know uh, 20, 30 or more pieces of work. A year, whereas the client will maybe make one of mm. any importance. So, for an agency, you can you can have a, a strike if if you if you're right uh, two thirds of the time, you're doing pr- quite well. But mm. for a client to get one wrong, that that can cost him his job, um, which is you know, and and cause huge problems to the company. And and he's then if he if produces a campaign that doesn't work and and people don't like, he tries to get another job. That's going to be hard. Yeah. So it can yeah, it can ruin your career. Yeah, no, it's it's a tough life. It's probably again because we're looking more at the creative side. Um, it's it's an area 
which which needs more work, to be mm. honest. Um, nobody much looks at things from the client side. Again, advertising treated, as you say, it might only be 10%. It's also 10% of the budget in general. It's a large proportion. Yeah. Right. Uh, but treated as the end of the process. Well, you know, making the ads and things are, but that whole strategy development, that goes in the front end. That, yes. that then if it, uh, it brings the coherence to the advertising program when it happens. It, you know, that, that those conversations can happen a lot earlier than they do. Well, it's, it's difficult to get... Uh, the, a strategy is, is really hard for a client organisation that only has, you know, say, one product and they don't have experience of working on a, a huge... On a huge a, a number of other products, which is what the the advantage that the agency has, and that we you, you know we've done strategy for this, 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 and this. Whereas you've you've only done it for that, and you have extreme blinkers on. You know, like I say, that blinkers have their use, but they, the clients have concrete blinkers on. In that, in that, you start from a place of this product is the best product in the in the category, however far from the truth that and may we be. We did that with the clients that had their one big idea. And then think they can have more ideas, and then find struggling because they can't. Yeah, you know they did hit one. Mm. Well, this is something Innovation Park. So we've got a um, one of these little startup places just down the road from the university, and what they want from us is the university. So you've got people have come in in their little garage, they've developed a new idea, they've been successful in that idea, and they really can't then develop a second or third idea. Yeah. Uh, so it is that that process of ongoing creativity is really quite difficult because you need different things at different stages of the process. So that divergent thinking, but then you need the appropriateness, you need all of the structure around stuff, but then that stops you actually being divergent again. I, th- I think often uh, entrepreneurs, startups, are, are intrinsically good at marketing, but I suspect this is survivor bias in that if yes, they weren't yes. good at marketing, yep. it, it wouldn't have happened. Yep. Uh, and there's an awful lot of good ideas where the entrepreneurs aren't actually, don't actually have a, a feel for it. They just fail. Yeah. It's a very, very opportunist in the moment. You know, and for every entrepreneurial idea that comes out, they've just managed to hit it. Other people with the same idea didn't get it. And, and we do yeah. that with... Um, Sometimes if we get the students to make products, for example, come up with ideas, those that get their marketing at about 80%... Yeah. Right, have a chance. Yeah. And anything below that, you've you've just missed that consciousness of the consumer. You haven't spoken to them in a way that says, "Get off your ass and buy." I I think that I might get in trouble for this. That well, you guys have got yourselves in enough trouble already, so that's okay. <laughs> you, know, you you could uh, you could you could uh, take away the word entrepreneur and replace it with the phrase pushy individual with mm. half decent ideas. Yes. And you, you, you know, you're not going to be too far from the truth. This idea, this idea that entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur is intrinsically a good thing. I, th- I think it, it helps. You know, it maybe helps us progress and do things. But to, to go, well, I'm an entrepreneur, therefore I'm a I'm a great individual that the, that the world needs. Mm. I, I think. Can I just say here that you can't see that these two individuals are agreeing with me violently on this because, but not wanting to <laughs> say anything. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I think the cult of the old entrepreneur has maybe gone a bit far. I'll, I'll go back to John Hegarty again. He's talking about the technology. We find this, we, we really feel that there's that, this new media effect 
where it's still happening and the creatives are sitting back still going, hang on, what's interesting about this? Again, yeah. the technologists and the entrepreneurs, if you want, are the ones who are out there um, get, getting stuff out. Whether it is useful for consumers at the moment is still being yeah. tried and the failures are, are being shaken out of that. And eventually we'll come back to another sort of recessionary point, if you want, where there's no new information being brought into that mix. And that's where the creators will step in and start doing interesting things with it. They're still just soaking in the information and, and uh, working out how we can be used. How, how we can use it. The, the QR code, QR code has been around for, I don't know, 10, mm. 10 years, and it still hasn't taken off. I keep You keep the little flare-ups of where it, it yep. might happen, and, and it got got brought out as COVID again, but people, there's a, a consumer reluctance, I think, to, to use it. Although I, I do understand in other markets, it, it's, may, it, it's maybe uh, in Asia, I think they use it with more success. Well, a lot of these things in, in technology, I, I think the limit with all of this is the cognitive capacity of the consumer. Yeah. It's like with apps these days. I got sent another app from another company, and it says, oh, it's really easy for you to use. I said, look, I don't want to put another app on my phone. Yeah. I'm sick of it. I deal with small companies all the time who says, oh, we need a social media presence. And I go, oh, do you? Yeah. How much yeah. time have you got to do it right? Because yeah. one of the other things we found in our research is the artistry is important. Yeah. Unless it's well presented, unless it flows, unless it's coherent. In terms of social media in particular? Well, you're talking uh, about particularly this. Instagram, of course. Like, and there well, it needs to be very... Uh, highly executed. It has to be pretty. Um, but also you've got to build brand credibility, which takes time. And unless it is at a certain level, you don't get any credibility. Once you've got credibility, you can use that collateral. You can use that brand equity. So once you've already made it, and we see a lot of brands unfortunately exploiting their brand equity and sales promotions out the wazoo online, and we're, we're just using another app to actually just tell an existing consumer to stay on with us through deals and things. Um, hard for somebody else to break into that market because yeah. the investment up front is huge. And for these small companies, they just don't have the capacity to do it and do it well. Yeah. And unless it looks credible, they're out of the out of the game. No, I mean, like, like apps, you know, we're talking about iPhones before, everyone's got um, 100 or so apps of which they probably use seven. Yeah. Say, and that, and there are a million out there and that, are, that are not used for anything. I find that also with the entrepreneurial thing, the, the lean startup idea is market validation. They obviously they often don't search deep enough to see that, hang on, there is an app being developed. We're actually three years behind on what they're doing. Yeah. They've already had a whole lot of learnings and failings, and either we can learn quickly from that and overstep them, or we're three years behind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've I've come across a, n- a number of clients who uh, uh, over the years uh, uh, who who you know kind of come into the agency and go, oh, we've got this this um, incredible new product that, and you go, oh, but isn't that the same as that product? Yep. And they're like, yeah, but ours is better, and you go, well, how? Well, that, because it is, um, and it isn't, and a whole lot of time, money is wasted on trying to find. Yes, the agency's being asked to differentiate a product that isn't differentiated. Yes. And yeah. that is a very hard ask. Well, then we're going to Byron Sharp and differentiation um, against uh, distinctiveness, mm. uh, where he talks about distinctive, distinctiveness being 
more important because a differentiation on a minor level, which is what most differentiation is, uh, you look at most cars, most cars do yep. 95% of the thing. So a skateboard does. The same, yeah. They, they all they all look look pretty much the same and to to um, differentiate them they're mainly differentiated by mark by the by the advertising and, and the, what's been put into consumers head over the years of what they think about that particular well I always say to students these days look if you look at the four P's of marketing it's not in product or price you tend to differentiate these days it's in the promotion it's in the distribution you need that consumer cut through yeah. and you also need all those convenient aspects of the distribution those are the key areas uh, where you're going to get a competitive advantage I'm finding that particularly now as someone who lives in a rural area a distribution there's you know you just can't can't find it can't buy it okay maybe maybe a minority but in New Zealand that's that's an awful lot of people who live hmm. well that I mean we do a wee bit of research in the sort of omni-channel space and yeah. the retail um and we look at these large Japanese companies, um, and they have problems doing omnichannel well. In New Zealand, where we've got such a dispersed market, that last mile cost is just phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. Um, and everybody says, oh, well, we should be doing these things. Look at what other companies do. You think, well, just no. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it seems to make sense. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I live like half an hour out of Walkworth. Walkworth is, is, is the major town, and so if I'm getting anything delivered, they, they've they've it's a half hour trip with no other yep. places to, to go. go to to get yep. to me, and it would probably make far more sense to have a centre in Walkworth to which I went to go and pick up whatever it was, and I'm 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 quite happy to do that, but um, uh, maybe that will emerge. Maybe that will emerge. Well, as long as there's enough of you there to do it, then yes. Yeah, well, you know, there are a thousand. Tens of thousands of people all spread out around the area, with um, but they're all they're all down driveways and and difficult to get to. And I think most of those people would be quite happy to go into a into a centre you know, once every couple of weeks to pick up whatever needed to be picked up. But, well, this is where I think the new technology, the drones and other things, might actually start to change some of these things in the future. We're way off there now, but uh, a lot of these companies are trying to move into that last mile. I, I'm very sceptical about, about drones. Yeah. The idea of thousands of drones and um, tens of thousands of young boys with air rifles is... <laughs> right. <laughs> well, imagine, you know, there, there's, this, there's this stuff going... Or, uh, the irritation factor oh, of yeah. drones flying everywhere. And then if you've got an air rifle, the idea that, that you've got... It's like a lucky dip. There's all these th- items flying... Yeah. You, you never know what you're going to get. Um, uh, well, I think there's a fair bit of airspace to be to be using, but um, well, uh, well do, okay, delivering to the to the Auckland suburbs. But also, how do you so all the the drones are programmed so they don't fly into each other? And there's you know there's a thousand flying over Greylin of a day. And, <laughs> well, and you just need one rogue one that yeah, takes, that takes them all out. Yeah, that'd be or, or that runs out of runs out of battery and and. You need diamond necklace, which I buy several. You know, lands in your neighbour's garden or something. It's not, it's not good. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you. Pleasure. Um, uh, thanks for that and and for coming out for the day. And I hope you're having a, a a good time in Auckland overhand. It's a trip to the big smoke for me. Uh yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I don't come up as much anymore. Um, 
Because I don't need to, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, more than anything. Uh, but it's, I've been enjoying it. It's been a... So you don't... You mainly work in the city, though, don't you? I don't work. Oh, excellent. Yeah. It's got his name on it. Sorry? It's got his name left on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I kind of... Yeah, I, 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 I suppose retired. Is the, or do, uh, not so much retired to stop work. Mm. as the, I just went... Yeah. Enough. So I'm writing... Um, writing book up, up yeah, on, on the start work on the fourth draft on Saturday, I think. And okay, yeah, I, I do. I did a, a few days' work at the agency during the lockdown remotely, right? Which is which is fine. I, I come in every now and again to do the podcast. Tried doing them remotely during the lockdown, but yep. the, the feedback I got was that so my, my producer was that it, it was better to get get yeah. people in live right yeah so what's your book going to tell us all um uh, well there's two the, ma- the main one is a takedown a satire on advertising awards um set in set in Cannes with an anti-hero um creative director and the skullduggery and, and the lying and the cheating that, that goes on behind it mm. an expose isn't it yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think it's an expose it's been been waiting to happen mm. uh, and yeah we, you see who's playing James Herman well, exactly exactly <laughs> you, you see you see that and you go and, and having served on many juries and can juries twice and knowing what actually goes on yeah yeah within them it's it's uh, and the motives of the people who are entering awards yeah, I don't know yeah. I, I, if I think it would be of, of interest to anyone in the industry and, and hopefully beyond. I think mm-hmm. you know, talking about Maya, most advanced yet acceptable. It's an area that has of the industry that, that only people who go there know about, and most people don't want to um, be critical of it mm-hmm. because if it, it, it's a gravy train, if mm-hmm. you're critical of it, you don't get. Can't build a robot, unfortunately. You don't know programming, but I wanted to look at the networks of um, because the list of judges are all there. Look at the award-winning yeah. work, see their social networks and how they might have merged and changed over three or five years oh. alongside. So I, I just don't have the programming knowledge to make the computer do the stats. Yeah, but, um, to watch that progression into judging and how the values rotate around it, if you will, of the ads that were awarded. Uh, it's well, if, if sort you, of tricky, but if it, you look it can at the, be done. If you look at the judges, what I mean, what's happened... So with, with Cannes, for example, every, uh, the uh, racial diversity has been pretty good, mm-hmm. but that's because uh, Asia started, in particular, and South America started spending so much money on... Entering awards, mm-hmm. so if if um, you know those, those two markets are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars entering the awards, then will it kind of make sense that we ought to get some yep. judges? The good, the good. I think the good thing about James's effectiveness ladder that came out of is that at least by halfway up, did you get sales outcomes? Uh, you know, so that these actually have to be real life ads; they can't just be award ads. Yes, now. 
you know all the all the gaming that has gone on in the past as well as not just the political inferences. Oh yeah, yeah, of 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 the scams, uh, but it's mm. it's very difficult to judge um, if effectiveness. <laughs> it's easier to it's easier to judge on. effectiveness. It's, it, it, well, in New Zealand, um, the uh, talking to Mario Heller on the lotto lottery ads do do right. more every year for creativity and effectiveness. You're selling something that everyone everyone wants, wants to, to to buy, mm. and you, you've got a large amount of money to put behind it and to go if if you if you win the lottery, you, this can be your lifestyle. Who who doesn't want that? I mm. spent five years working in the casino, so I know what bollocks gambling is. But mm. to the average member of the public, the number of people yeah. where you go, "Hey, are you doing? Oh, I'll be all right when I win the lottery on Saturday." Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. See, that, this is a conversation that can be had in an agency as well as as sort of self-deprecating and also, if you want, consumer-deprecating uh, conversation. But it's not meant with ill intent. It's simply meant, you know, this is the consumer's anxieties and other aspects and yeah. viewpoints that they're using to get into their head and understand what language and, and method of communication they want, you've got to have that. Yeah. Uh, and to someone who could be considered more normal or straight-laced, one of these sort of, as Mark says, more straight-line value-based systems, which, you know, yeah. without knowledge, they could see this behaviour coming out as, gee, you guys are nasty or bickering or other things when it's not, it's not being taken personally by the people who are doing it. Um, I don't know. It's, well, it can. It can. Uh, it can be. It can. It can, be. It can be. Um, <laughs> which is destructive, in, in no matter how you do it. It can be. I, th I think that the the behaviour economics, which mm. five years ago didn't exist. I mean, it may have done, but it wasn't. It wasn't talked about. But now it's everything has been. To, to me, it 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 uh, it often put into in, into it gave some scientific rigor to things that you thought anyway, and, yes. and it was been mm. really useful to see but for clients if they're not if they're not following that enormously because oftentimes a strategy comes can come directly from that we we did some we pitched for a company uh, a few years ago and again it was probably behavioral economics at the time was probably too new and they were a company for uh, tax refunds right, uh, ta yep. tax refunds mm. uh, in New Zealand and so our pitch was based on the fact that people are more afraid of losing money than yeah. they are uh, excited at, at the, the thought of winning it. Yeah, classic yeah. prospect thing. Yeah. So it's like, well, it's like insurance. Yeah. So insurance is like the anti-lottery. Yeah. Anti and yeah. everybody in New Zealand has insurance. A lot of people go into the lottery, but they're you know, more worried about losing the, uh, than they're about winning. So so for tax refunds, the, the, the campaign was was based about if you don't do it, you are, you are lo you, know, you have this money, yeah. you're losing it. Yeah. It's not that you... The money it. will disappear forever. Yep. And uh, you know, the the client didn't buy it. And I think I think it was too early in the uh, behavioural economics at the time. But only the Kahneman's book had probably only come mm. out like six months mm. earlier. And and the client was probably going, oh, I don't. What's this mumbo jumbo that you're talking about? But it because that just seemed such a obvious. Yeah. Um, Obvious scientifically back root strategy to go down, and they went, "Oh no, we just want to do." It. Oh, isn't it fun when you win a? It's a yeah, so, well, that's subtle nudge. Yeah, pre preconceived ideas though. You never get around them, are you? The what? Sorry, the, the preconceived ideas. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is half your job, I can imagine, as a creative director, just figuring out what the client actually wants. 
yeah, instead of what the consumer wants. Yeah. I had one question for you. Yeah. One of the things back in the early days of my research in regards yeah. to the creative dyad, um, and I, I wasn't asking this question, but I was seeing it, and I've seen it since then, whereas one of the true values, and this is a hypothesis, um, of a team is not so much in terms of you developing better and new ideas through the team because you tend to come up with those it's a creative ideas. creative team. Yeah, yeah, creative team. Yeah. You tend to come up with ideas. You can expand upon those within the team. But one of the values which seemed to be coming through um, but they weren't stating it directly was you got to share the level of rejection. Yeah. So it wasn't my fault. The confederacy, you've got someone there to, to support, to yep. bounce ideas, but equally when it falls over, you can distribute yeah. it. Did you yeah. come across... Is that we did it together. The feeling you feel on the well, as a team, is that a useful yeah. thing? Yeah, but, well, I mean, one of the things again, and it's advertising, it's again like academia, you've got to accept rejection because you're going to get rejected yeah. again and again and again. But having a team of two, because it was interesting, some of your team at DDB were individuals, <laughs> and it seemed to me that that had so many successes they didn't care about the rejection anymore because yeah. they knew they were good. Whereas the junior creatives, it seemed to me that that was much more important they were with a team so that they could share that Again, the, the, rejection the, on Again, the, the introversion by, because it's an absorptive, we're taking in all that information, you've got to be more introverted because you it's in rather than out, expressing whatever falls out in some ways that way around. Um, is someone who has faced rejection and open their mind to try and cope with that. Well, I think it, it, it's it's maybe like a uh, married couple, like a life couple, mm. in that they they're facing stuff together, together mm. and you know one of them loses a job or whatever, or the, uh, the you know, member of family. They have they have that that strength to to do it, and I think they can. But I was wondering if it's more prevalent in the sort of creative industries just because you're taking such big risks all the time because you're having to do that more divergent thinking well i think so the the idea of having creative teams of having two people working together to solve solve creative problems is i don't, I don't know either old or young depending on on how you look at it and it's only been going on for what 1960 50, or yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, 70, 70 years mm. and, what, and what happened before then and I think it I think it works as you say particular for young teams that 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 rejection is I mean that wasn't why it was originally mm. done it was because it, it was thought that you still ideas, have, yeah. um, better ideas on it but if you look at the writers room in um, you know, how they come out, uh, the right sitcoms or the shows, daily like, show, you know, showrunner. So you have the showrunner, mm. who's the guy in charge of it, who's like the creative director, and you have a, a team of I don't know, but I'm five, eight writers who all are contributing ideas to it, and there's one guy who makes a decision. I don't know how those dynamics work, and mm. I don't know how those dynamics would work in an agency. I guess it would be like it was like briefing the whole department, and we used to do it on occasion. Certainly, at, at Barnes Catmore, and on, on occasion at um, DDB, you get the whole department in and give them that that same thing to work on. And how did that change the outcomes? O on occasion, certainly at um, uh, Barnes Catmore, friends 
denser or BC, Barnes Capital Friends, than we were then, where we had a relatively small creative department mm. of uh, six or seven people, and we had a problem. And uh, and from you know, on occasion, uh, fr- Friday night, four o'clock, get right, okay, everyone in, let's have a beer. Here's, there's some blank things on the wall. Let let's talk around ideas. And I I think it it will work really well. The issue with the issue with brainstorming, if we accept that some people are correct, uh, some people are not creative. And and okay, that's accepted in this room. It's not accepted in the not yep. always accepted in in the wider world. And we'll go right. Well, we'll get everyone in to work to work on a brainstorm. And often the the, the creatives are actually kind of a, a little bit shy and a bit reluctant and hold back. Where mm. whereas the um, you know maybe the suits who are used to standing on their feet and and talking to people, their mm. voices can become louder. Well, that was the interesting thing with my original research, collecting the data. You had to take time to get the creatives on board. Yeah. Um, the account people were, and like Flynn, they wanted to show that they were really creative and do the yeah. experiment. And um, uh, so there's no no problem whatsoever getting enough yeah. of that sample. Um, yeah, there, there is. I actually accept that a good idea can come from anywhere. Well, they weren't as good. But. It's more likely to come from the people who are. Oh yeah, um, trying indeed. To, trying oh indeed. To do no, it. the creatives were mm. were way up here. Yeah. Uh, the account people wanted to show they were up here, but they weren't. Yeah. Um, again, I think both the combination of nature and nurture. Yeah. Uh, but I think the creatives in agencies are much flatter in terms of the associative hierarchy. There is that in, in, inherent ability. Whether this is truly inherent, we'll never know. Um, I suspect that what happens is this is seminal stuff you put down in your first 10 years. Yeah. And I suspect there's some probably elements whereby if we're exposed to a whole lot of stuff when we're young, uh, that might allow us to actually jump across domain a lot more. But obviously that's not something I can set up as an experiment. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I think I, I should probably get along the, the guys who run the um, advertising design school media design school, that's what it's called, to talk, yeah. talk about that. Because they, they have people coming in and people going out. And other do they sometimes get the wrong people in and they go, and who are really keen to be creative and they yep. go, it's just not going yeah. to yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've spoken to people in an agency and they said, yeah, we just had to set one guy there. Um, and he's happily moved across to a Mac design designer job um, because he's realised that he doesn't have enough to get the ideas out. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he can he can execute. Yeah, on someone else's direction. Yeah, mm. or conceivably, he doesn't have the thick skin to put up with yeah. or the thick yeah. skin. Yeah, with constant direction. rejection. Yeah, um, direction and rejection. rejection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which you have to be able to get back up and go. Hang on, I can have more ideas and yeah. maintain but maintain that confidence in your ideas. But this might also be one of the values of the awards, because once you've won an award, once you've got an A star journal, suddenly you think, okay, well, who cares what those reviewers think? They're the idiots, not me. Uh, yeah, but the, but the work that's been rejected has never seen the light of day. So yeah, but what I'm saying you is you don't one, know whether it's yeah. But once you've got one, then oh, right. your your skin gets thicker. Yeah, we, know, we know the good stuff goes into the bottom drawer, and and uh, if, well, if there's an opportunity to recycle it, it will come out. Yeah. But, but but if you if you never get that win, 
um, you don't develop the... What we've seen is for cl- from a client perspective, if a client comes in and says, just give me your best work, not your cre- don't ask for creative work. Ask for your best work, what you think will work best with us in a really open way, in a way I'm, I'm prepared to look at it and give it a fair and open judgment, then you get the best work. Well, it should, it should be, what is the... You know, what what is the solution that you think will be best for my product mm, when maybe, you sell it, which is not what the best yes. solution that you think will win yourself an award? Which may be more on strategy and less original than was expected. But it, it may be even more radical. Yeah. I had yeah, Shane Bradnick on the other yeah. day for TBWA and asked him the question, if advertising awards didn't exist, what would you do differently? How would you do your job differently? Mm. And it, in, interestingly, he, he said that the work would get better. <laughs> the, work, the work would get better. Again, yep. the goal, the end, the end, the terminal output is not to win an award. The terminal output is to communicate, to connect with that consumer in a way that, um, I'll say, spurs their inspiration or motivation. <laughs> but sometimes you don't need to be creative at all. That's, and it doesn't have oh, to, what, to, mm. to, to be effective yeah that's right. well if you have enough media money to bludgeon it or if you yep. have a good enough product yep. I, I, there's an, another mm. phrase that, that advertising is a cost that, that we that you paid for not having great products <laughs> that if, if, you, if your product was that that good you wouldn't need to mm. advertise it and for example Tesla I think don't don't do any advertising. They don't need to, but no. because yeah, it's in the media all the time yeah and, and it's a great great aspect of when you have connected well uh, again, like I try and teach the students, I say, you thinking about a person, you get that persona, you give them a name, same yeah. as a brand, and around that person will be a bunch of people with quite similar values, and if they rate it, they will, they will promote on your behalf. But yeah. controlling that message becomes becomes very difficult. Um, so yeah, have that great product that fits that person. Know that that's that circle. How big the network is around them that will spread. Uh, and know that you're playing a longer game than if you want to have a mass market straight up front. Um, so I'm actually writing kind of two books. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the fiction one. The other one <laughs> I'm writing is Self-Help Guide. It's called The Manual for the Mediocre. It's all the, all the self-help books that, that we see, and it's particularly true of entrepreneurs and uh, yeah, may, maybe um, American evangelical types that you, right we will show you how to be the best we will show you how to be the richest uh, we will show you how to how to make a million you, you can't all do you can't all do it no. not not everyone can win how do you and you are not in that the chances are that you are not in that two percent mm-hmm. you're not brilliant at what you do how do you make the best of actually being quite good how do you translate quite good into a rich, not necessarily financial, but a, a, but a rich experience and career? Mm. And the example that that that, um, that I've kind of been using internally, an example is Dennis Rodman, but a basketball player, yeah. who who played with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was the best player in the world mm. and maybe the best yeah. player that, yep. that has ever been. Yep. Dennis Rodman was a workhorse. Mm. But he tried harder than anyone else. Uh, he dyed his hair pink. He wore wedding dresses. He covered himself in tattoos and piercings. And everybody knew him on court. Mm. Whenever he did anything, 
you could see it. And he's arguably, you know, one of the, the top top five most famous basketball players ever to a top ten, certainly basketball players ever to have played the game. And yet he's about the thousandth best. Mm. How do you take the most of, of a, a, a good but not exceptional talent and market that into an incredible career? Talking to Marshall Halloran yesterday, he... Uh, and he was um, so he's just just been made CEO of DDB globally. He's got ten thousand people under him, and he's going. You know, I, I think it'd be great to to, uh, to get people up to show them that yes, you have the ability and the, the opportunity to do what I've done. And I'm going. Well, you you haven't. You've got ten thousand people. You can't yeah. all be CEO of hmm. uh, DDB. How can how can you do a, a good job within that? But we, I mean, it's all about the whole. I hate to say, Western society is about selling the impossible dream. Because how else do you keep people engaged in the treadmill? Uh, how many people are going to be an NBA basketball player, as you said? But every single kid has got to push that. You've got to push that dream to them. But that, but that's a kid. That, that, yeah. That's a kid. You're, you're, 20, you're 22, you're out of university, you, you, you're so, going to... So then it becomes the lottery, doesn't in, it? In a world. No, so you, so you, really, your book's about uh, maturation. Are you ready to become mature? And... Choose your choose your slot. Will you realise, or mm. you come to the? How do I make the best of what of what um, God given talents mm. I have? How do you how do you turn that into a fulfilling mm. life? And are you gonna are you gonna spend all your time beating yourself up because you're not actually the best advertising <laughs> person in the world, or are you gonna go? Okay, I'm I'm actually good and mediocre. And there's that, that is, is, this is most of the industry. Oh, yeah. And the ones who have accepted it, uh, uh, um, in turn, they won't necessarily admit it, and have gone, okay, you know, maybe I, I'm, I'm... But the ones who, who go, uh, who think that they are the best and are, uh, are getting struck with disappointment after disappointment because they're not actually that good, it doesn't, it doesn't make for a happy and fulfilling life. They're not evaluating themselves carefully against... No. Hmm. Hmm. No, they're not. They're not the, the people. Oh, I've done this work. It's, a, it's, the, it's the best thing you've ever seen. You go, oh, yeah, and then you. Because no. yeah, that's it. If, if <laughs> yeah. you're not, if you're not, if you're not getting it there, you get feedbacks coming in. Then you have two options. You either invest in that weakness and being better at it, which will take you on that journey to that you want to go. Or alternatively, you say, okay, that's no good. What, what am I stronger in, and work to those strengths. Yeah, what what role can I can I mm. fulfil within an agency? See, I, I think creatives, are, uh, even with that disappointment, they, they look at that weakness, and they go, "That's curious. What what can I do with it? Unless I've been really beaten down." Mm. Yeah. Well, at the same time, it was interesting speaking with a lot of creatives in that agency environment. Again, they said we have to be salespeople. Uh, we're having real problems getting our ideas out there. Again, that line coming through again, my best work is in my bottom drawer. Um, within that age environment where they couldn't be highly divergent, they couldn't be highly original because the client requires all of those appropriateness, you've got that commercial imperative. So what did they do? They did other things on the side. Yes. Um, they did art or mm-hmm. wrote or music or mm-hmm. other things where they could do that. Well, they, well, they could they could do what they want, yep. but I, I, again, it comes down to the the mayor, most appropriate, most yep. acceptable, yep. appropriate, advanced, most advanced. advanced. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, that stuff that's in the bottom drawer might be complete, complete 
scammy nonsense. It might it might be something that, that would raise a laugh, but is is utterly inappropriate for a client. But I agree. The number mm. of that we've I've talked to a number of people on the podcast who have gone outside. Michael Foday, who's gone out to and his um, uh, partner have, have gone to be like two of the best selling poets in the world. It's yep. just it, it, um, extraordinary. Or, mm. or Dick Frizzell, who's using uh, the most famous living artist probably who uh, was an advertising authority mm. for years. I suspect, though, because these people have thus fled associative hierarchies, what is in the bottom drawer is really out there. Um, they probably, if they're experienced creatives, have made a connection which would make sense. Again, they just can't make anybody else see it. Yeah. So it, it's probably not the, the naff rubbish stuff. Gentlemen, um, would we'll maybe draw this discussion to a close. Thank you, thank you very much for coming in and and um, talking about your work and having a, a completely kind of um, different vibe to the podcast of academia and to the listeners. I hope that uh, I didn't show myself up too much because uh, I haven't set foot in a university for forty years or something. But um, um. yeah, uh, gentlemen, thank you. You've been listening to Truth and Soul, the New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Okay, so thank you very much to the usual suspects for putting this together. Jonathan, Vanessa, Cole, Shane, and the rest of the crew from Franklin Road. Drop me a line at paul at truthandsoul.co.nz if you have helpful comments, unbounded praise, or fishing tips. Now, we have a few people who are keen to come on, and hopefully we can arrange that before too long. Organisation has never been my strong point, as many will attest, and we had a few issues with um, COVID-19, obviously. Uh, Now, young people tell me that apparently I need to encourage you to subscribe, so please find yourself encouraged. Also, a five-star review on iTunes helps, I believe. I know this may be perjury, but it's for a good cause-ish. Thank you for listening. Here's Matt Stalker to play out for you. Check out Matt Stalker and Fables on Spotify. They're great. Stay safe. Thank you. By the flickering spires of candlelight While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and turn Thoughts come not as single spies But in battalions While the wicked sleep sound The anxious toss and
understand our father's fascination with dendrology. The family tree is losing its leaves. Please forgive my trembling hands crudely silhouetted by the flickering spires of candlelight while the wicked sleep sound I want the anxious toss and turn thoughts come not a single spice but in battalions while the wicked sleep sound I want the anxious toss and turn